All right, John, I guess I'm just going to have to come clean with this one. I botched it a bit here. Um, I referred to Jeremy as an American and then tried to cover my tracks by suggesting that all of us in North America uh, are uh, Americans. He is, in fact, Canadian, so uh, uh, he took umbrage with that, and I apologize, Jeremy. I actually know you're from Saskatchewan, so my mistake. Uh, but, uh, you know, John, why didn't you want to It feels good. It feels fantastic. Yeah. I love it when you make mistakes like this. This is why we record it. It's it's You can't get away from it, Mark. Yeah, I, I'm owning it, but I don't know why you didn't own up to the fact that you're only doing this because you think you have a radio voice that's going to make you famous in radio someday. People tell me all the time I have a great radio voice. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the Behind the Bars podcast, where we discuss all things motorcycles, memories, and mayhem. Oh, this is awesome. Sponsored by Wilkins Harley-Davidson. Let's get this thing started. Here's John and Mark. On the line with us is Jeremy Craker. Jeremy has an extensive bio I don't even want to take a chance at it, Mark, on messing this one up, but author of two books, including bestseller, Motorcycle Therapy. He has toured around the entire world, been to 30 countries on his motorcycle. Welcome, Jeremy. How are you? Thanks. I'm great. I'm uh, sitting out here in the sun on a floating dock in British Columbia, just soaking it up. So yeah, if you hear a ferry in the background, that's uh, just part of British Columbia living. Well, Jeremy, thank you for being with us. So, uh... Your publications are Motorcycle Therapy and Through Dust and Darkness, and you're also an editor. Is that also true? Yeah, that's right. So I've written two books, like, as you mentioned, Motorcycle Therapy and Through Dust and Darkness, and then I put together a motorcycle travel anthology called Motorcycle Messengers, and uh, that's a collection of stories from different writers, and uh, I'm working on Volume 2 right now. So Motorcycle Messengers 2 should be out in six months or something like that. So... You know, a little, a little bit of background here, Jeremy, from, from what I've read uh, in your publications. I understand um, that, that motorcycle therapy or, or is really near and dear to you, that, in fact, you started this journey across 30 countries um, uh, as a result of a woman uh, and things not going so great there. Is that, is that the case? Can you tell us a little bit more about how this all started? Yeah, that's, that's kind of how it got uh, rolling, I guess. Seems like ancient history now, but uh, of course the book is still um, current. Um, I had a, a relationship that I cared deeply about, and it didn't go well, you could say. Uh, that's putting it mildly. And sort of in a moment of self pity or reflection or whatever you want to call it, I just purchased a motorcycle, really on a whim, and uh, decided to take off to Central or South America. And um, started making a few phone calls and checking around to see if anybody else wanted to join me and as it turned out an old travel partner of mine that I hadn't seen in like 10 years or something like that he had also recently been dumped by his girlfriend <laughs> so uh, the timing was great we just jumped on our motorcycles and we took off and uh, ended up in Panama <laughs> so, <laughs> so two broken hearts you guys pick up a couple bikes and just head south yeah I mean we didn't think it through very well we were both in our 20s at the time. Um, we just, uh, it was kind of an impulse decision. And I'm glad we did it that way because sometimes you can plan things a little bit too much, I think. And some people end up never really leaving on a trip because they're too busy planning. Uh, we did the other, we took the other road. We just took off without much thinking and much thought. 
It's it's interesting you say too, Jeremy. You know, we've talked with a lot of different people throughout the uh, behind the virus podcast, and that some of the greatest adventures always come from folks that are sort of like, you know, at some point in time, you just gotta just get on the bike and ride. Uh, Charlie Borman, long way around, mentioned that that at some point in time, it's just like all this lead up time of planning something kind of defeats the whole adventure, and uh, that that that's just stuck out when you mentioned that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, I am now kind of in the motorcycle travel community, I guess. So I go to these motorcycle shows like Horizons Unlimited and um, Overland Expo and stuff like that. And I meet these people, and some of them have, have traveled extensively. And then there's another subcategory of people that um, are really good at planning, and they plan and they plan and they plan for everything, but sometimes those trips actually don't happen. And uh, so there, there's a fine line between preparation and, you know, being over-prepared because something is going to happen that's going to be, you know, not within your planned framework anyway. So you may as well just hit the road and find out what those crazy situations turn into. What, I think. what, what, what do you think, you know, what do you think is the craziest uh, unplanned scenario that's popped up, Jeremy? You thought you, you were getting picked up uh, to, to hang out with missionaries for a, for like a 20-minute ride at night. Yeah, well, I wasn't super enthusiastic about it. Uh, <laughs> it, was. Um, it, it sounds like you're just that. saying that now. Yeah. What's that? It sounds like you just, you're just saying that now that, that it really wasn't, you weren't too, too enthusiastic. Oh, uh, no, I was like, like when this lovely couple, they were trying to talk us in, they were from Columbia. Uh, they were trying to talk us into this, or they were explaining what they were doing for the next week or so. And uh, Trevor's eyes were just getting bigger and bigger, and you know he was clearly on board. And uh, I was like trying to kick him under the table, like, no, we're not doing this. But in the end, um, it was a great, unexpected side trip. Uh, we spent like a week in the jungle um, with this little community that was basically isolated, just on the very edge of the Darien jungle. And, um, you know, we did hunting. We went hunting for monkeys one day. We never got anything, but um, that's what the locals do. And, um, yeah, we just hung out, read, and explored Panama in a strange way that not many people get to see. 
so Jeremy, I, I have a multi-part question here. So here we, with, here we go. Here we go. Yeah. Well, here we. You always have, Jeremy. This is unfortunately you probably don't know this. I know, uh, you know, you you don't know Mark or, or or me very well, but Mark always has these multi-pronged. Why don't you just say I have a question and then and then follow it up? Well, right. Jeremy, Would you agree with that, Jeremy? Isn't that the way to interview somebody? Let me give you a 10-part multi-pronged question. It makes hey, no sense. Yeah. Well, hey, hey, Jeremy. Actually, I'm, I'm, well, I'm familiar with this type of uh, conversation because I hang out with a friend who's here with me now, and uh, he is a bit ADD, and uh, the conversation takes several forks uh, throughout. <laughs> well, I'm okay with it. Jeremy, since John has brought out the sword, I'm going to defend myself. He he already told you that this was his podcast, and I'm just sort of along for the ride, which yeah, nothing true. could be tr further from the truth. The only reason John does this is because he has this concept that he's going to be a radio personality someday. He thinks he's got a great radio voice. Jeremy, do I not have a great radio voice? Yeah, I think you both have great radio voices. I think, really, to be a radio personality, the personality is the most that's true. Well, Mark is think, lacking think, in that area. Think, yeah. Let's hear. Let, let's hear his. Let's hear his multi-pronged uh, question. Go ahead. Go ahead, Mark. Oh, thank, thanks for the room on the mic here, John. Uh, Jeremy, with thirty countries on your resume, I have to ask you two things. What was your favorite country to visit, and which country would be least likely for you to return to, and why? Oh wow, that's great. Multi-part question. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I love the Middle East. So uh, I would say that Syria and Iran were two of my favorite countries. Uh, unfortunately, right now, Syria is uh, not a place you want to go as a casual traveler uh, with all the conflict going on there. But um, I was there just before that conflict started. And then again, I did go back and worked as a journalist briefly um, during the conflict. And I love the people and the culture and the history and the architecture. It's all fantastic. Uh, and I would say the same thing about Iran. Um, people kind of think about Iran as being uh, an enemy of Western culture, but it couldn't be further from the truth. They are very um, compatible with us, uh, and the people are lovely, and the architecture, like I say, is, is uh, something to behold. So... Unfortunately, Syria is kind of off limits right now. I would go back to Iran in a heartbeat. Well, and uh, the one country that I, you said least likely to return to, it's funny, I've uh, never really liked Egypt, and I've had a hard time traveling there. Uh, it's difficult to navigate, and it seems like um, you're always trying to be taken advantage of by local sellers and things like that. And yet, with all that frustration, I have found myself back in Egypt, uh, I think, four or five times. So even though it's not my favorite country to visit, I'll probably go back. I'm kind of a glutton for punishment. Well, Jeremy, it's... I have, it, same, I have the same relationship with whiskey. <laughs> the, I keep on returning to it, even though I know I shouldn't. We, yeah, we all do. That's okay. Yeah. It's actually healthy for you. Is uh, um, It's interesting you say that as well. You have to hang out or or uh, partner up or go on a speaking tour with uh, Charlie Borman. Charlie mentioned that all these places that he's been were all, uh, you know, people that have never been there are sort of like, oh, gosh, I would never go there. That's dangerous. And 
um, it ends up being completely contrary, aside from Syria, of course, at this point in time. But uh, some of the similar locations you mentioned, he just said that it's just amazing, and the people are just we have more in common with them than we than we think we do. Yeah, uh, exactly. And I would say Iran is uh, top of that list because even the people that are in Iran right now, generally, they're very moderate, and a lot of them don't even support their their hardline government. Um, but the people are fantastic. That's funny you mentioned Charlie Borman. He is actually, uh, he helped me out on Motorcycle Messengers 2. That's the book that I'm working on right now. Awesome. Uh, he wrote, yeah, he wrote the foreword for it. Oh, that's cool. The Charlie Borman and my name together on the same book. Awesome. That, that effort. I, I look forward to that. So, so and I've met him, and he is a, he's a fantastic guy. Like, he's, uh, you know, he's a, a bit of a polarizing figure sometimes in the community, right? You have people hating on him. And then you have people who are just really huge fans of his work, and he's just a great gentleman. He, he's uh, extremely humble. Yeah, nice, nice guy. Jeremy, yeah. I, I'm somewhat surprised that Iran uh, had such appeal uh, for you. Knowing a little bit about your history, you were raised Mennonite, uh, and you, yep. you traveled to um, a theocracy in Iran, and I'm curious about how your experience in Iran maybe shaped your your mind spiritually or with your attitudes towards religion. And is it true that you rode your motorcycle like right into a mosque? Uh, no, that's a little bit of a... No, I, I didn't quite ride a motorcycle into a mosque. Uh, but I did get into um, the holiest shrine in uh, Iran, or they tell me that anyway, uh, the shrine of Imam Reza, um, which is really off-limits to non-Muslims. But I was kind of guided in by someone who just couldn't believe that I was in Mashhad and wouldn't go to the shrine. He was appalled. And I'm like, well, I'm not a Muslim. I can't go. And he's like, oh, no, you can go if you're with me. And I just kind of keep your mouth shut. <laughs> so I did actually get to see um, that shrine. And I went in respectfully with an open heart and mind. And I saw people worshiping and praying uh, to a God that was different than the one that I had been raised with. Um, but I saw that the devotion was very much the same, and um, yeah, that, that had an impact on me. I'm not really involved with the church anymore, um, I think that's a healthy thing, but back then I was still doing a lot of questioning, and um, it, it was good to see people praying in all sincerity, even if it was to what I would have been told as a young, young boy, you know, the wrong God. Um, their sincerity and their love seemed to be on par with anything that I'd seen in, in Western culture. And uh, again, I just go back to the people being amazing. He, he, he uh, and actually, so, and actually I didn't ride a motorcycle into a mosque, as I said, but, um, if you read my book through dust and darkness, that's the story of that trip. You'll find that unfortunately I had some paperwork issues and I wasn't even able to bring my motorcycle into Iran. Um, that, that was another side adventure. <laughs> I had to leave it in Syria and uh, and fly in. So you abandon you abandon your motorcycle. I'd love to go back with the motorcycle like Lois Price did, but um, yeah, I was just a traveler. Jeremy, what's your favorite story that comes out of motorcycle therapy? I, I, the the obviously um, those those listeners that have not read the book, um, it, it's it's a you know high ratings, award winning. Um, extremely entertaining, moving, but what, what would you say is your favorite story that comes out of that? Well, you know, there's a, 
there's a few that pop to mind. Uh, one of them is actually not even motorcycle related. Uh, Trevor and I met in Austria uh, in 1995, I believe it was, and then 10 years went went by, and then we started this trip. So at one point in motorcycle therapy, when we're in Mexico, I believe we encountered this giant um, snake on the road. And my instinct is always to chase these things down for some crazy reason. And then I sort of flash back in the book to when I did that in Austria. I, uh, I found a snake while hiking in, in the Alps, and I tried to pick it up to impress a girl. It looked harmless, but it bit me. And then it turns out it was not harmless, and I had oh, airlifted off the mountain by oh. the Austrian military and uh, spent a few days in the hospital. So, wow. Um, yeah, that was kind of, I mean, I take a little bit more care in the book to describe it in greater detail, but that was one of my highlights and lowlights in my travel career, I guess, if you want to call it that. What, what kind of snake was it, Jeremy? Well, we don't actually know. So apparently <laughs> there are two poisonous snakes in Austria. One is the cross or a diamond, I can't remember, on its forehead. And if that one bites you, it will kill you. And the other one is um, less poisonous but still dangerous. And that was the one that apparently bit me. <laughs> so they never actually treated it. They just monitored me in the hospital. I spent three days trying to communicate with the staff in German. Um, and all I could really say in German was, um, Ich bin ein Schnabeltier, uh, which I believe means I'm a platypus. And, uh, yeah, it didn't uh, really work that... very well, the communication bit. Hey, Jeremy, um... John John is the quintessential ugly American when he travels, and I'm wondering right. I'm wondering if um, you encountered any specific specific challenges because you were American in some of these places. How how are you received internationally? Well, Mark, here I must take umbrage with the fact that you called being American. Well, that's what I, I I was very surprised with that as well. You are technically a North American. North, he, I, I understand where Mark is going with this, but I—that's not my approach, Jeremy. So, keep no. in mind, this is this is he—he—he he, he does not speak for me. I would not have. You, I would have just called him Canadian. He's—he is an American in the broadest sense, and I'm curious, traveling in the East from the Americas, which there are multiples, um, if that presented any challenges. Argentina, yeah. Uh huh. So yeah, all right. So North America is every is the entire continent. Correct. That's what we're gonna call Americans. Got it? Yes, that's okay, right. So yeah, we're we're back on track. So the, essentially, the question is, as a Western <laughs> traveler, um, have I encountered any problems? And the answer to that is not really. No. Um, a lot of the conflict that is perceived uh, by people is just that it's a perception, and it's not the reality. When you get traveling, you find that have more in common than they have that uh, tears us apart so i've had nothing but good experiences um well one time i was walking in beirut in lebanon and for some inexplicable reason this old woman uh very like specifically targeted me and punched me very hard in the stomach unexpectedly uh, did she know uh, you were canadian i think she just had mental health issues like i don't <laughs> think that was a conflict of culture i think it was just I met the wrong person at the wrong time, but <laughs> happens to so, John. No, I've had nothing but uh, positive experiences traveling, oh. and the American, the United States of American Americans that I've met while traveling, have been um, wonderful. Like I've had nothing but uh, good experiences, and I've got a lot of American friends, and 
well, perhaps my language would have been more accurate to say as a Westerner, and so I will... Um, Good job, Mark. Well, I'm, I still, I stand by my position. The, the guy's going to get off, and he's going to say, why did I just do that podcast? This made zero sense yeah, to me. Yeah, well... Zero value to interact with John and Mark. So Thank let, you. let's bring this back it's around all, it's to... All Let's bring this back around to motorcycles. Okay, so you're you're basically traveling the world on a motorcycle. How do you configure or outfit, I mean, equipment-wise, what is your motorcycle like? I mean, how would it be different than, like, you know, John's Vespa? How would you, how do you fig- configure your bike to, to be suitable for this kind of travel? Well, I don't have, I mean, you can take any bike anywhere. That's the message that I give people, so... I've got a friend, his name is Ed March. He travels around the world on a uh, Honda C90. So a little step-through 90cc motorcycle. And then I've got friends who do it on, um, you know, I personally ride a Kawasaki KLR650, and much uh, ridicule is heaped upon me because of that, but it's just because it's the bike that I can afford. Um, If it breaks down, I can fix it, usually on the side of the road, or if I can't, then I can take it to like a lawnmower mechanic who can fix it. Um, You don't need the big quote-unquote adventure bikes, Um, and I just carry a little bit of luggage, and I've done it a few different ways throughout the years. The first time I went traveling to Panama, I just had soft luggage, just basically a backpack strapped onto the back of my KLR650 and two little side bags, and then... Uh, since then, I've, I've gone to uh, hard luggage, um, but there's a company called Moscow Moto. They're friends of mine. They make great luggage as well for traveling. Um, you just don't need that much, really. You need a couple changes of clothes, a few parts, like I carry a spark plug and a clutch cable and um, maybe a shift lever, something like that, and the rest you can just deal with on the road. Tools, but it doesn't need to be an extensive tool roll either. And um, especially for me, I don't really know how to use tools very well. I'm a horrible mechanic, so you have to carry a few changes of clothes, really. Jeremy, that that, uh, bike has roughly, what, a six-gallon gas tank? Yeah, something like that. So do you, you, have you run out of fuel? Uh, No, actually, I haven't. I've come close a few times. I think I was on reserve when I finally found a gas station. And when I was in Egypt, um, I was traveling with a bunch of people at this point. Normally I traveled by myself, but at this time I had hooked up with a few other travelers and we were going across Libya. But we went down to the Siwa Oasis in Egypt, and there I just had enough fuel to get down there. And then it turns out that the gas station, the only gas station, was out of fuel. And uh, they didn't know when they were going to get it back. So in Egypt, like most of the Arab world actually, So, so I guess this is this caused me anxiety. I mean, not running. If I'm down to a quarter tank of fuel. I, I I get nervous. So you are there. You have no fuel, and you you were in Libya, and so you don't know when you're going to get fuel again. So, what what if you run out of? I mean, you're you're obviously staying there. I mean, where where do you go? What are you doing? Where are you gonna Where are you gonna sleep? That's one thing that I've learned from travel is that 
if you try to look too far into the future, yeah, you can get a lot of anxiety about it. But if you just kind of stay focused in the moment and enjoy where you're at, and even even the breakdowns can be part of the adventure. Uh, Ted Simon famously wrote about that in Jupiter's Travels. Um, basically, his bike breaks down, and instead of worrying about it, he's just like, oh, I wonder what solution will present itself and what interesting people I'll meet as a result of this. It's not easy kind of, to do uh, that. It's kind of attitude. And, and I preach that, but I don't practice it very well. Like, I do have anxiety issues, and I do still have worries and concerns. But the more that I travel, um, the more I realize that generally things work out. And then if they don't, then that's a different story. Like, that's a different adventure. So many of these countries you were talking about are, are, are hot and arid Jeremy, how do you handle water while you're traveling, and what? How much can you carry? Uh, again, I've you know, besides the occasional side trip into the jungle, like I was telling you about in Panama, uh, I've typically stayed not exactly on the beaten path, but I haven't strayed too far from um, you know significant towns and things like that. And these countries that you're mentioning, I'm. I'm I assume you mean the Middle East and whatnot. Sure. Um, yeah, they're they're typically known as being hot and dry, but they're civilized, right? You can buy water anywhere you want and, and fuel. So it's not like, you know, I'm, I'm in the high Himalayas or something like that. Um, we just haven't done that yet. Any close calls in any of these places where you felt unsafe, Jeremy? Not really, no. Uh, I've had a few situations uh, because I was careless on my motorcycle where maybe I came into a corner too hot or things like that, just typical motorcycle stuff. Um, but I don't usually ride that fast when I'm traveling, especially with a heavily loaded KLR 650, which is really incapable of traveling fast. Um, but as far as like danger from people and things like that, no. Um, the only time that I would say that I, I was in a bit of a risky situation was when I was in Syria in 2012, not with my motorcycle, but I was just doing some freelance reporting mostly for the Toronto Star and there I was um, you know I wasn't making the best decisions about my safety and I was pulled into the police station and I guess interrogated for a significant period of time but I wasn't like threatened or anything so even even in that situation I never really felt unsafe what did they want why they interrogate you what did they want to know well I mean I was there on a tourist visa but I was actually um, writing stories for the Toronto Star and that is illegal and um, you know especially the early days in the conflict in Syria um, they were definitely not friendly with the press <laughs> so you weren't allowed to be there you could only talk to certain people um, you know it, it wasn't an, an open dialogue that was going on there and and still in many ways is not but now it's turned into an all-out conflict which is sad huh well jeremy we are we are running out of time here you've been very generous with us um in closing i have one last question so what where is the next uh stop for you uh, um on your journey i'm glad you asked me that because uh i'm seeing this lovely girl right now and she has also ridden her motorcycle to panama uh independent of me separately she's gone twice and she's always been a little frustrated that she never made it as far as the end of the earth in south america so she and i are planning on uh taking a trip
probably in 2019 from Canada or America, as you might call it, <laughs> all the way down to our that that's so, very cool. That is very I'm not cool. Sure. Like, we, there's still a lot of question marks that we've got to solve before uh, that happens. Like, um, money and health and things like that. There's a few things that we have to sort out. But and if our relationship holds up, but that's really what we're planning on doing. Canada to Argentina. Sounds like a great journey. Yeah, that does. I, I, um, you know, we are running out of time, Jeremy. But if you have, uh, maybe you could just tell us, you know, for our listeners, if there's any websites or, um, you know, places. I know that obviously they can get your book really anywhere. Um, but aside from that, websites or any other um, things you want to mention that people can look up on you. Yeah, uh, the website is called MotorcycleTherapy.com, and I'm also active on Twitter. And that's just at Jeremy underscore Craker, spelled with an O. It's kind of weird. So, yeah, I'm on social media. You can find my books anywhere. And you can also get Motorcycle Therapy as an audiobook. So if you don't like to read, you can listen to it in your helmet or whatever. Is it, are, you the, uh, are you the speaker? That's right. I narrate the book. And, um, yeah, hopefully it'll make you laugh. That's really the only point of Motorcycle Therapy is that you have a little adventure with me and uh, get some laughs out of the deal. Awesome. Sounds great. Jeremy, we, we really do appreciate your time. I know you're busy, and I know you're uh, uh, enjoying the, the scenery and whatnot, so we will uh, we'll let you get back to relaxing. But um, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with us. Jeremy, from, uh, thank you, one, Jeremy, from one uh, North American to another, I say thank you very much as well. Well, thanks too, Mark. I appreciate uh, chatting with you, and I look forward to hearing this when it comes out. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Bars podcast, sponsored by Wilkins Harley-Davidson. Stay tuned for our next exciting podcast. Check out additional information on WilkinsHarley.com.